Section 5 of The Aeneid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. The Aeneid by Virgil. Translated by J. W. McHale. Book Third: The Story of the Seven Years' Wandering. After heaven's lords pleased to overthrow the state of Asia and Priam's guiltless people, and proud Ilium fell, and Neptunian Troy smokes all along the ground, we are driven by divine omens to seek distant places of exile in wastelands. Right under, on Tandros, in the mountains of Phrygian Ida, we built a fleet, uncertain whither the fates carry us, where a resting place is given, and gather the people together. Scarcely had the first summer set in, when Lord Anchises bids us spread our sails to fortune, and weeping I leave the shores and havens of my country, and the plains where once was Troy. I sail to sea in exile, with my comrades and son, and the gods of household and state. A land of vast plains lies apart the home of mavers in thracian tillage and sometimes under warrior lycurgus's reign friendly of old to troy and their gods in alliance while our fortune lasted hither i pass and on the winding shore i lay under thwarting fates the first foundations of a city and from my own name fashion its name aeneide i was paying sacrifice to my mother daughter of dione and to all the gods so to favor the work begun and slew a shining bowl on the shore to the high lord of the heavenly people haply there lay a mound hard at hand crowned with cornel thickets and bristling dense with shafts of myrtle i drew near and essaying to tear up the green wood from the soil that i might cover the altar with leafy boughs i see a portent ominous and wonderful to tell for from the first tree whose roots are rent away and broken from the ground drops of black blood trickle and gore stains the earth an icy shudder shakes my limbs and my blood curdles chill with terror yet from another i go on again to tear away a tough shoot fully to fathom its secret yet from another black blood follows out of the bark with many searchings of heart i prayed the woodland nymphs and lord gravitus who rules in the jetic fields to make the sight propitious as was meet and lighten the omen but when i assail a third spear-shaft with a stronger effort pulling with knees pressed against the sand shall i speak or be silent from beneath the mound is heard a pitiable moan and a voice is uttered to my ears woe's me why rendest thou me aeneas spare me at last in the tomb spare pollution to thine innocent hands troy bore me not alien to thee am i nor this blood that oozes from the stem ah fly the cruel land fly the greedy shore for i am polydorus here the iron harvest of weapons hath covered my pierced body and shot up in sharp javelins then indeed borne down with dubious terror i was motionless my hair stood up and the accents faltered on my tongue this polydorus once with great weight of gold had hapless priam sent in secret to the nurture of the thracian king when now he was losing trust in the arms of dardania and saw his city leaguered round about the king when the teucrian power was broken and fortune withdrew following agamemnon's estate in triumphant arms severs every bond of duty 
murders Polydorus and lays strong hands on the gold. O oh, accursed hunger of gold, to what dost thou not compel human hearts? When the terror left my senses, I lay the divine tokens before the chosen princes of the people, with my father at their head, and demand their judgment. All are of one mind, to leave the guilty land, and, abandoning a polluted home, to let the gales waft our fleets. So we bury Polydorus anew, and the earth is heaped high over his mound. Altars are reared to his ghost, sad with dusky chaplets and black cypress. And all around are the Ilian women, with hair unbound in their fashion. We offer bubbling bowls of warm milk and cups of consecrated blood, and lay the spirit to rest in her tomb, and with loud voice utter the last call. Thereupon, so soon as ocean may be trusted, and the winds leave the seas in quiet, and the soft whispering south wind calls seaward, my comrades launch their ships and crowd the shores. We put out from harbor, and lands and towns sink away. There lies in mid-sea a holy land, most dear to the mother of the Nereids and Neptune of Aigai, which strayed about coast and strand till the archer-god, in his affection, chained it fast from high Mykonos and Gyros, and made it lie immovable and slight the winds. Hither I steer, and it welcomes my weary crew to the quiet shelter of a safe haven. We disembark and worship Apollo's town. Aeneas the king, king at once of the people and priest of Phoebus, his brows garlanded with fillets and consecrated laurel, comes to meet us. He knows Anchises, his friend of old. We clasp hands and welcome and enter his palace. I worshipped the god's temple, an ancient pile of stone. Lord of Thymbra, give us an enduring dwelling place, grant a house and family to thy weary servants, and a city to abide. Keep Troy's second fortress, the remnant left of the Grecians and merciless Achilles. Whom follow we, or whither dost thou bid us go, where fix our seat? Grant an omen, O Lord, and inspire our minds. Scarcely had I spoken thus, suddenly all seemed to shake, all the courts and laurels of the god, the whole hill to be stirred round about, and the cauldron to moan in the opening sanctuary. We sink low on the ground, and a voice is borne to our ears. Stubborn race of Dardanus, the same land that bore you by parentage of old, shall receive you again on her bountiful breast. Seek out your ancient mother. Hence shall the house of Aeneas sway all regions, his children's children, and they who shall be born of them. Thus Phoebus and mingled outcries of great gladness uprose. All ask, what is that city, whither calls Phoebus our wandering, and bids us return? Then my father, unrolling the records of men of old, Hear, O princes, says he, and learn your hopes. In mid-ocean lies Crete, the island of high Jove, wherein is Mount Ida, the cradle of our race. A hundred great towns are inhabited in that opulent realm. From it our forefather Teucer of old, if I can recall the tale aright, sailed to Redian coasts and chose a place for his kingdom. Not yet was Ilium nor the towers of Pergama reared. They dwelt in the valley bottoms. Hence came our lady, haunter of Sibylle, the corybantic symbols in the grove of Ida. Hence the rites of inviolate secrecy and the lions yoked under the chariot of their mistress. Up, then, and let us follow where divine commandments lead. Let us appease the winds and seek the realm of Gnosis. Nor is it a far journey away. 
only be Jupiter favorable, and the third day shall bring our fleet to anchor on the Cretan coast. So spoke he, and slew fit sacrifice on the altars, a bull to Neptune, a bull to thee, fair Apollo, a black sheep to Tempest, a white to the prosperous west winds. Rumor flies that Idominus, the captain, is driven forth of his father's realm, and the shores of Crete are abandoned, that the houses are void of foes, and the dwellings lie empty to our hand. We leave the harbor of Ortigia, and fly along the main, by the revel-trod ridges of Naxus, by green Danusa, Olearus, and snow-white Paris, and the sea-strewn Cyclades, threading the racing channels among the crowded lands. The seaman's clamor rises in emulous dissonance. Each cheers his comrade. Seek we Crete and our forefathers. A wind rising astern follows us forth on our way, and we glide at last to the ancient Curitian coast. So I set eagerly to work on the walls of my chosen town, and call it Pergamea, and exhort my people, joyful at the name, to cherish their homes and rear the castle buildings. And even now the ships were drawn up on the dry beach. The people were busy in marriages, and among their new fields. I was giving statutes and homesteads, when suddenly from a tainted space of sky came, noisome on men's bodies and pitiable on trees and crops, pestilence and a year of death. They left their sweet lives, or dragged themselves on in misery. Sirius scorched the fields into barrenness, the herbage grew dry, and the sickly harvest denied sustenance. My father counsels to remeasure the sea, and go again to Phoebus in his Ortigian oracle, to pray for grace, and ask what issue he ordains to our exhausted state, whence he bids us search for aid to our woes, whither bend our course. Night fell, and sleep held all things living on the earth. The sacred images of the gods and the household deities of Phrygia, that I had borne with me from Troy out of the midst of the burning city, seemed to stand before mine eyes as I lay sleepless, clear in the broad light where the full moon poured through the latticed windows. Then thus addressed me, and with this speech allayed my distresses. What Apollo hath to tell thee when thou dost reach Ortigia, he utters here, and sends us unsought to thy threshold. We who followed thee and thine arms when Dardania went down in fire, we who under thee have traversed on shipboard the swelling sea, we, and likewise, will exalt to heaven thy children to be, and give empire to their city. Do thou prepare a mighty town for a mighty people, nor draw back from the long wearisome chase. Thou must change thy dwelling. Not to these shores did the god at Delos counsel thee, or Apollo bid thee find rest in Crete. There is a region Greeks name Hesperia, an ancient land, mighty in arms, and foison of the clod. Inatrian men dwell there within. Now rumor is that a younger race have called it Italy after their captain's name. This is our true dwelling place. Hence is Dardanus sprung, and Lord Asius, the first source of our race. Up, arise, and tell with good cheer to thine aged parent this plain tale to seek Corythus and the lands of Ozonia. Jupiter denies thee the Dictaean fields. Astonished at this vision and divine utterance, nor was that slumber, but openly I seemed to know their countenances, their veiled hair and gracious features, and therewith a cold sweat broke out all over me. I spring from my bed and raise my voice and upturned hands skyward, and pay pure offerings on the hearth. The sacrifice done, I joyfully tell Anchises, and relate all in order. 
He recognizes the double descent and twofold parentage, and the later wanderings that had deceived him among ancient lands. Then he speaks, O oh, son, hard wrought by the destinies of Ilium, Cassandra only foretold me this fortune. Now I recall how she prophesied this was fate to our race, and often cried of Hesperia, often of an Italian realm. But who was to believe that Teucrian should come to Hesperian shores? Or who might Cassandra then move by prophecy? Yield we to Phoebus, and follow the better way he counsels. So says he, and we all rejoicingly obey his speech. This dwelling likewise we abandon, and leaving some few behind, spread our sails and run over the waste sea in our hollow wood. After our ships held the high seas, nor any land yet appears, the sky all round us, and all round us the deep. A dusky shower drew up overhead, carrying night and tempest, and the waves shuddered and gloomed. Straight away the winds upturn the main, the great seas rise, we are tossed asunder over the dreary gulf, storm clouds enwrap the day, and rainy gloom blots out the sky. Out of the clouds bursts fire fast upon fire. Driven from our course we go wandering on the blind waves. Palinurus himself professes he cannot tell day from night on the sky, nor remember the way amid the waters. Three dubious days of blind darkness we wander on the deep, as many nights without a star. Not till the fourth day was land at last seen to rise, discovering distant hills and sending up wreaths of smoke. The sails drop. We swing back to the oars. Without delay, the sailors strongly toss up the foam and sweep through the green water. The shores of the Strophides first receive me thus one from the waves. Strophides, the Greek name they bear, islands lying in the great Ionian Sea, which boating Selino and other harpies inhabit since Phineas's house was shut on them, and they fled in terror from the board of old. Then these, no deadlier portent, nor any fiercer plague of divine wrath, hath issued from the Stygian waters. Winged things with maiden's countenance, bellies dropping filth, and clawed hands and faces, ever wan with hunger. When borne hitherward we enter the haven, lo, we see goodly herds of oxen scattered on the plains, and goats flocking untended over the grass. We attack them with the sword, and call the gods and Jove himself to share our spoil. Then we build seats on the winding shore, and banquet on the dainty food. But suddenly the harpies are upon us, swooping awfully from the mountains, and shaking their wings with loud clangor, plunder the feast, and defile everything with unclean touch, spreading a foul smell and uttering dreadful cries. Again, in a deep recess, under a caverned rock, shut in with waving shadows of woodland, we array the board and renew the altar fires. Again, from their blind ambush in diverse quarters of the sky, the noisy crowd flutter with clawed feet around their prey, defiling the feast with their lips. Then I bid my comrades take up arms and proclaim war on the accursed race. Even as I bade they do, range their swords and cover among the grass, and hide their shields out of sight. So when they swooped clamorously down along the winding shore, Messinus, from his watch-tower on high, signals on the hollow brass. My comrades rush in and essay the strange battle, to set the stain of steel on the winged horrors of the sea. But they take no violence on their plumage, nor wounds on their bodies, and soaring into the firmament with rapid flight, leave their foul traces on the spoil they had half consumed. Selino alone, prophetess of ill, 
alights on a towering cliff, and thus breaks forth in deep accents. War is it for your slaughtered oxen and steers cut down, O children of Laomedon! War is it you would declare, and drive the guiltless harpies from their ancestral kingdom? Take then to heart, and fix fast these words of mine, which the Lord Omnipotent foretold to Phoebus, Phoebus Apollo to me, I, eldest born of the Furies, reveal to you. Italy is your goal. Wooing the winds, you shall go to Italy, and enter her harbors unhindered. Yet shall you not wall round your ordained city, ere this murderous outrage on us compel you, in portentous hunger, to eat your tables with gnawing teeth. She spoke, and winged her way back to the shelter of the wood, but my comrade's blood froze chill with sudden affright, their spirits fell, and no longer with arms, nay, with vows and prayers, they bid me entreat favor, whether these be goddesses or winged things ill-ominous and foul and Lord Anchises from the beach calls with outspread hands on the mighty gods, ordering fit sacrifices. Gods, avert their menaces. Gods, turn this woe away, and graciously save the righteous. Then he bids pluck the cable from the shore, and shake loose the sheets. Southern winds stretch the sails. We scud over the foam-flecked waters, whither wind and pilot called our course. Now wooded Zacynthus appears amid the waves, and Dolichium, and Same, and Nerido's sheer rocks. We fly past the cliffs of Ithaca, Laertes' realm, and curse the land, fostress of cruel Ulysses. Soon, too, Mount Lucata's cloudy peaks are sighted, and Apollo dreaded of sailors. Hither we steer wearily, and stand in to the little town. The anchor is cast from the prow. Sterns are grounded on the beach. So, at last having attained to land beyond our hopes, we purify ourselves in Jove's worship, and kindle altars of offering, and make the Actian shore gay with the games of Ilium. My comrades strip and slippery with oil exercise their ancestral contests. Glad to have got past so many Argive towns, and held on their flight through the encircling foe. Meanwhile, the sun rounds the great circle of the year, and icy winter ruffles waters with northern gales. I fix against the doorway a hollow shield of brass that tall abbess had borne, and mark the story with a verse. These arms, Aeneas from the conquering Greeks. Then I bid leave the harbor, and sit down at the thwarts. Emulously my comrades strike the water, and sweep through the seas. Soon we see the cloud-capped Phaeacian towers sink away, skirt the shores of Epirus, and enter the Caonian haven, and approach high Boothrotum town. Here the rumor of a story beyond belief comes on our ears. Helenus, son of Priam, is reigning over Greek towns, master of the bride and scepter of Pyrrhus and Iacid, and Andromache hath again fallen to a husband of her people. I stood amazed, and my heart kindled with marvelous desire to accost him and learn of so strange a fortune. I advanced from the harbor, leaving the fleet ashore, just when haply Andromache, in a grove before the town, by the waters of a feigned Simois, was pouring libation to the dust, and calling Hector's ghost to a tomb with his name, on an empty turfed green with two altars that she had consecrated, a wellspring of tears. When she caught sight of me coming, and saw distractedly the encircling arms of Troy, terror-stricken at the vision, marvelously shewn, her gaze fixed, and the heat left her frame. She swoons away, and hardly at last speaks after long interval. 
comest thou then, a real face, a real messenger to me, goddess-born, livest thou? Or, if sweet light is fled, ah, where is Hector? She spoke, and, bursting into tears, filled all the place with her crying. Just a few words I force up, and deeply moved gasp out in broken accents. I live indeed. I live on through all extremities. Doubt not, for real are the forms thou seest. Alas, after such a husband, what fate receives thy fall? Or what worthier fortune revisits thee? Dost thou, Hector's Andromache, keep bonds of marriage with Pyrrhus? She cast down her countenance, and spoke with lowered voice. O oh, single and happy eminence, that maiden daughter of Priam, sentenced to die under high Troy town at an enemy's grave, who never bore the shame of the lot, nor came captive to her victorious master's bed. We, sailing over alien seas from our burning land, have endured the haughty youthful pride of Achilles' seed, and borne children in slavery. He, thereafter, wooing Leda's Hermione, and a Lacedaemonian marriage, passed me over to Helenus's keeping, a bondwoman to a bondman. But him, Orestes, aflame with passionate desire for his stolen bride, and driven by the furies of crime, catches unguarded and murders at his ancestral altars. At Neoptolemus's death a share of his realm fell to Helenus's hands, who named the plains Caonian, and called all the land Caonia, after Caon of Troy, and built withal a Pergama and this Ilian citadel on the hills. But to thee, how did winds, how fates give passage? Or whose divinity landed thee all unwitting on our coasts? What of the boy Ascanius? Lives he yet, and draws breath thy darling, whom Troy's... Yet hath the child affection for his lost mother? Is he roused to the valor of old and the spirit of manhood by his father Aeneas, by his uncle Hector? Such words she poured forth weeping, and prolonged the vain wail. When the hero Helenus, son of Priam, approaches from the town with a great company, knows us for his kin, and leads us joyfully to his gates, shedding a many tears at every word, I advance and recognize a little Troy, a copy of the great Pergama, and a dry brook with the name of Xanthus, and clasp a Saiyan gateway. Therewithal my Teucrians make holiday in the friendly town. The king entertained them in his spacious colonnades. In the central hall they poured goblets of wine and libation, and held the cups while the feast was served on gold. End of section 5